1: And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Electatus Function podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. I'm joined today by former IDF, Israeli Defense Forces Brigadier General Amir Avivi. Amir Avivi is currently the CEO of idsf the israel defense and security forum and we're going to talk about israel today get perspective from someone who is intimately familiar with the inner workings of israel's military its national security and foreign policy Uh, we're also going to talk about your geopolitics in the middle east and in the world and how this current conflict with russia and ukraine sort of shapes things up where it's going uh so amir thanks so much for being with me today it's a real pleasure
2: thank you for having me it's a pleasure good to be here
1: thanks man so uh Let's start off with, with the current situation. I'd love to get your perspective in terms of you know, Israel's um, – this kind of been foreshadowed by the, the larger conflict with, with Russia and Ukraine. It seems to be dealing – Israel has been dealing with some – a new slate of terror attacks. Meanwhile, according to the Jerusalem Post and some other sources, Iran seems to be provoking Hamas and other Palestinian terrorists to ratchet up attacks. There's ongoing discussions about the JCPOA, the Obama-Iran nuclear deal as, as some people refer to it. Um, They're currently going on Vienna, and one of the interesting things about that is that America's relying on Russia to sort of broker our position with regards to Iran. Meanwhile, we're condemning Russia on the world stage. Talk to us about the security threats Israel is dealing with right now and how it sees the situation in the Middle East.
2: I think that we, we need to understand really the broader picture of what is happening in Israel and around us. And I, I would say that Israel is under attack uh, by two uh, very big uh, campaigns that are also in, interacting between, the, uh, between these campaigns. One is an overall Palestinian uh, campaign, I, I would say against Zionism and against Israel. And this campaign is conducted all over Israel, in Judea and Samaria, the Negev, the Galil, the c- cities, mixed cities, Jerusalem, and so on. And uh, what we are witnessing is uh, an attempt, a long-term attempt, to completely uh, destroy the sense of frightness and connection of Jews to the land of Israel. We see it, by the way, also on the global level, talking about BDS and all these campaigns, mm-hmm. talking about... Uh, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Of course, there is no Israel in this scenario. Right. Nobody is talking anymore about a two state solution or Judea and Samaria. It's completely destroying the right of Jews to live anywhere in Israel. And we also see, as part of this uh, campaign and attempt, attempt to grab land, uh, we see it in Judea and Samaria. The Palestinians are very active in. Uh, taking land in area C, but we also see it in the Negev with the Bedouins, and we see it in the Galilee. Hmm. And of course, very uh, strong attempt to completely undermine the personal security of Jews anywhere in the land of Israel. So of course, we see it uh, on the roads in Judea and Samaria, where they throw Molotov bottles, rocks, or shoot. We see it in the Negev. We see it also in Lod, in Acre in Jerusalem, Galilee, and so on. And uh, part of that is also conducting uh, terror attacks. Mm-hmm. So it's all over the place. And it's uh, more and more coordinated uh, between Hamas, uh, fractions of the Israeli society, and Palestinians in uh, Judea and Samaria. And, and this is what we witnessed in the last operation in May. On one hand, we saw thousands of rockets being shot at Israeli cities, including Jerusalem and uh, Tel Aviv. At the same time, an uprising of Israeli Arabs and uh, pogroms against Jews all over the place. We haven't witnessed something like that Mm -hmm. since the independence war. And uh, at the same time, also some shooting from Lebanon and attempt of attack from Syria. So everything is connected. Everything is coordinated at some Mm -hmm. level. And uh, this is what's going on inside Israel. And the potential is huge for a major, major uprising. And then now we're talking more and more about the, the need to build the National Guard, to strengthen the police, to strengthen the Border Patrol, hmm. understanding that we need to have uh, civilians that are armed and they are able to be first responders mm-hmm. before uh, the police arrives to, to a scene.
1: Yeah. So you, you mentioned a few inter- interesting things there. With, you alluded to the, the situation last May, that was May 2021. And obviously... It showed the the real face of this, I think, to a certain extent with in terms of the anti-Semitism, because here in Los Angeles there were anti-Semitic attacks, not against Israelis, even against Jews, right? So it really, I think, broke this facade of that this is something against Israel. This is this is Jew hatred at its core that you see being the animus for these terrorist attacks from the Palestinian authorities, from the Palestinian terrorists, which are supported by Palestinian authorities. Now, the Palestinian situation has become a little bit more interesting, I would say the last couple of years. Um, obviously, Iran is one of the main benefactors, giving the resources to facilitate the, these terrorist activities. And since the Abraham Accords, it's it's been an interesting shift where you have partly for economic reasons and partly maybe, you know, maybe it's optimistic to me for moral reasons as well. I think you see some of these um Arab nations such as UAE and and Bahrain and others who look at the situation a little bit more objectively and say well you know, this other side there's really two sides working for peace there's one side who wants it because it's in their best interest of course to have it right they're surrounded by nations that don't share religion with them that traditionally you know have tried to kill them etc and and another side that's not willing to budge at all that actually wants Israel forget about making peace. They want it wiped off the map. And so now there's an interesting sort of coalition developing since these Abraham Accords broken under, under Trump with you know, the UAE and Israel strengthening ties um, with Bahrain as well. Morocco seems to to have come in as well. Uh, and you, you even see some different sorts of uh, rhetoric from even the Saudis. And so that and these were all traditional benefactors of the Palestinian cause as well. Do you think that has changed things at all in terms of their ability to attack Israel and and having that moral support sort of taken away from them, uh, or do you think they're just they're still just as adamant and capable of of wreaking carnage against Israel?
2: Okay, so let's understand what, what the Abraham Accords are all about, and then maybe it will be easier to to understand. Mm-hmm. First of all, Iran, Iran he aspires to first of all regional hegemony. They want to control mm-hmm. all the Middle East. They want to destroy all these states. Sunni moderate states, mm-hmm. the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, and so on, they want to control everything, and of course, destroy Israel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, these uh, Sunni states, while they're very much threatened by Iran, they're also challenged by uh, Sunni radical elements, mm-hmm. like ISIS, like the Muslim Brotherhood, like Al-Qaeda, Taliban. And so on. So they are being destabilized from the inside by radical Sunni elements. Now, as long as uh, the US uh, was strong and dominant in in the Middle East uh, before Obama's presidency, things were uh, at balance. Hmm. I mean, uh, the US uh, intervened where it needed to intervene, even went to war in Iraq and so on, and the presence stable, the very strong presence of the U.S. stabilized the area. This is the, something that started long ago with the Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1945, where he signed this say, strategic uh, alliance with the Saudis, mm-hmm. all the way to Obama's presidency. What, what happened when Obama stepped into office is that for the first time in the history of this region and the U.S., uh, the U.S. became completely uh, independent of oil. The fraction industry mm. has uh, managed to produce huge amounts of oil, and uh, in one day, the U.S. became not only independent but also a major exporter of oil. And the Middle East at that moment completely lost its importance in, in American eyes in many ways. Mm. Now... When Obama looked at the Middle East in new eyes, because he wasn't dependent anymore uh, on the Gulf states or Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. he saw Iran as an emerging force and uh, sought some kind of alliance with them. And and this was a shock, a completely shock to 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 these Sunni states who had an alliance for a long time with the U.S. And at the same time, while... Africa in a way is shifting its alliance uh, moving uh, towards the Iranians. At the same time, there was the Arab Spring mm-hmm. and the radical Sunni started emerging. And to the surprise of these uh, countries, in some cases, the America uh, supported these Sunni radical elements. We saw it with Morsi when Morsi took control of Egypt, and it's Muslim Brotherhood, this is a radical organization. Mm-hmm. Obama's administration supported it. So the Sunni Arab states realized uh, that they cannot uh, rely anymore on this uh, alliance. They don't know what will happen. One, one election, they will have a Democratic uh, candidate winning, and winning. Another one may be Republican. It's not the same as it was before. It's not a consensus among American parties. So. When they saw Israel standing firm against the Iranians, they realized that they need an alliance with Israel in order Mm -hmm. to be able to cope with the huge challenges Iran poses to the region. So it's first of all, it's an existential threat. Mm -hmm. Iran is an existential threat to all all the Middle East. and, and, And this is why this alliance is so important. By the way, talking about Morocco, you would assume that Morocco is quite far away from Iran. But Iran is actually operating in Morocco. Hmm. Iran is weaponizing Polisario, the same organization that is attacking uh, Morocco. Iran is also weaponizing Algeria, which is an enemy of Morocco. And so this is why we are having this wow. uh, relationship and, uh, and uh, peace agreements. Interesting. Now, the Sunni Arab world is distancing itself from the Palestinian issue. But at the same time, you have Iran uh, deeply involved with what's going on with the Palestinians, as you said, uh, bringing know-how and money Mm -hmm. and support to Hamas and Islamic Jihad, uh, using Hezbollah also to mobilize the Palestinians to to attack Israelis. You know, we are uh, mentioning now 20 years to Operation Defensive Shield, that was held in Judea and Samaria. During that time, before the defensive shield operation, there were more than a thousand Israelis killed in major cities. Most of these attacks uh, were initiated and funded by by Hezbollah with Iranian money. Hmm. So Iran is deeply, deeply involved. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, uh, you have uh, the American withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. This is creating waves of shock around the Middle East. The Sunni mm-hmm. radical elements are getting stronger again. Mm-hmm. ISIS, ISIS. Just in the last year, in two thousand twenty-one, conducted two thousand seven hundred attacks, with more than eight thousand wow. people killed and injured. In Syria? In mostly in Afghanistan. Hmm also in iraq in syria in the Sinai peninsula and in africa now this is projecting also into the radical elements within the israeli arab society Mm -hmm. and the palestinians so you have a sunni radical wave coming towards and at the same time a Shiite radical wave Mm
0: -hmm.
2: which is going to grow exponentially once this uh, agreement, a nuclear agreement, is signed and sanctions will be removed. Right, the right. Iranians will get hundreds of billions of dollars. So this is destabilizing completely the Middle East. And frankly, I can simply, really, I can't understand why the U.S. administration is doing mm-hmm. what it's doing. It's endangering the very existence of the state of Israel and the whole stability in the Middle East.
1: Right. So you touched on a couple of interesting things there. One, one was that, in a weird way, the Obama administration's sort of like incompetence and naivete and wrongheadedness about the Middle East almost brought, well, facilitated in bringing some of the Israeli and Arab neighbors together because of the US's detachment and this sort of need for collective security. Uh, so that's pretty interesting and that, that's positive. On the other hand, now we see with Biden continuing that policy, it's getting to a point where it's actually causing problems because of the, as you say, the, the rising Sunni tide of radicalism, as well as Iran putting its its you know foot on the gas pedal in terms of exporting radical Shia Islam in, in these other countries as well. What would what's the problem with lifting sanctions from Iran for people who are sort of unfamiliar with this? What's the problem with the Iran nuclear deal? Well, first of all, and then of course, as a part of that, is the lifting of sanctions. Will the Iran nuclear deal help, um, you know, sort, sort of facilitate, I- I- in essence, their, their nuclear capabilities? Is it just a canard, or um, is it a good thing to bring stability to the Middle East, as they say, the administration?
2: Iran is a country that signed the MPT, They're basically, uh, one of the countries that signed an agreement against uh, nuclear weapons. Now, there, is, there isn't one state in the world that signed this agreement that is allowed by contract, by agreement to enrich uranium. Now, this agreement with the Iranian basically says that within three, four years, the Iranians, the, the agreement will end and the Iranians will be permitted by the world to enrich endless amount of uranium, meaning they will be able to produce maybe 100, 100 nuclear bombs. now it's basically the world surrendering to this uh, crazy regime that says clearly that they want to annihilate israel Mm -hmm. that are attacking countries all over the middle east right that are building by the way a force in the backyard of the u.s in venezuela equipping them with uavs that can reach the u.s and attack terrorizing Morocco and all the trying to get control of Morocco because they want to control Gibraltar pass from, from, you know, from the Middle East towards the ocean. And the moment Iran becomes nuclear, or even before, all the countries in the Middle East will want to be nuclear. Of course, they will yeah. have to defend themselves. So we'll see proliferation of nuclear capabilities everywhere, including their militias, like Hezbollah. Mm. This is a threat to the globe. This is a threat to the world. And, and, and I cannot understand why why Europe and the U.S. are, are moving towards that. And um, so wh- one thing is, obviously, the Iranians are seeking this nuclear umbrella. Now, look, they, they learned the lesson of Libya, and they are also learning the lesson of Ukraine. Uh, when Gaddafi mm-hmm. announced that he has nuclear capabilities, he said, I'm willing to disarm my capabilities, get rid of them. If you accept me and I can trade with Europe and I, I'll have normalization. So the U.S. and Europe said, sure, why not? Please uh, get rid of your nuclear capabilities. And he did. Mm-hmm. And once he experienced an uprisal, NATO sent its planes and attacked him. So what's the message? Right. The message was never, never give up your capabilities because they won't get, they, they, they won't keep their side of the bargain. Mm -hmm. The same happened with Ukraine. In in the 1990s, Ukraine was asked to give up its nuclear capabilities. The US, Britain, Russia said, if you do that, we will uh, assure that you will never be attacked. And now, not only the Russians are attacking Ukraine, the West is not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Just talking, tweeting. Mm -hmm. So... Iranians understand that if they want to, the regime to, to exist for the long term, they need nuclear capabilities, mm-hmm. and they need the they need nuclear capabilities as an umbrella, so nobody will be able to attack them, and then they will mobilize all the militias, terrorize all the Middle East, they have missiles that can reach the U.S., so what's going on is completely crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's S9. It's absolutely asinine. I mean, and and to think that these people negotiating with Iran, you know, the Iranians are hard negotiators, and they they're just buying into this idea that they're going to be a you know global players in and Af- into the international community responsible players. Of course, it's in their best interest to have nuclear weapons. Uh, they're, they're a regime that's unstable from within. They they fear regime change from without, from places like the United States and and other places. Uh, well, mostly U.S., but maybe Europe as well, NATO as well. And uh, yeah, there's just no one. You know, all the incentives are aligned for them to be able to spread their terror and to get this nuclear weapon. Then they have assurances that the the, the terrorist mullahs who are in control of that country get to hang on power. One one of the other interesting things that happened recently was that sorry, Biden reached out to the Saudis and and the UAE in terms of uh, trying to get them to ramp up some oil production because of the. Right oil domestic policy that that the current administration is against. And they didn't even return the calls of the president of the United States, which is just unbelievable. Of course
2: not, because because listen, I mean, this administration is pushing the Middle East into war. Right. Endangering us, really endangering us. And and it makes no sense. Now, Israel is left with one choice only, to take our future in our hands and prepare an attack on these nuclear uh, facilities. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we need to do that. And obviously, if we do that, this is going to be war. And, and this is where we are being pushed to the corner, and they have to deal alone with this uh, reality, maybe with some help from uh, the Sunni states that will yeah. help in one way or another. Really, you know, usually I, I consider myself as somebody who is able to, when I see something major going around the globe, to, to understand the interests. Mm-hmm. You know, I can talk about why the Russians are invading Ukraine. I understand Russian interests, can agree or not with what they're doing, but I understand right. what they're doing. Right. I cannot understand this administration. It makes mm-hmm. no sense. A part of, um, the only good explanation I got about this behavior is keeping Obama's legacy. That's it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Other yeah. than that, no, no, doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. Put, putting, the war at, putting the world at risk in order to preserve a uh, failing legacy. I, it's just, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, but so many parts of this administration are, are just unfathomable um, domestically and internationally. And the U.S.'s role in the world is becoming weakened uh, significantly because not only are we not, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, right? As they say, it's so not only are we not fulfilling obligations in terms of trying to promote peace in the Middle East, um, you see with the Russia Ukraine situation as well, and and here's another thing I want to talk to you about. So one of the main people, the main players in terms of trying to mediate the conflict, is not the United States, who has no standing really to to do this because of of failed policies, failed and just horrible rhetoric coming from the Biden administration. Um, but Israel, Israel's is playing like a leading role in trying to mediate this dispute. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of Israel's role and and how that's shaping up?
2: Yeah, well, I'm not that happy about uh, the Israeli involvement um, because I think it's sending a message that we have time to deal with other things other Mm -hmm. other than the Iranian deal. I would expect the Israeli prime minister to really be focused on the Iranian issue, and I think this government, unfortunately, is not. If it was for me and I was prime minister, I would take all the cabinet and uh, the Knesset members to Vienna and build tents outside these meeting rooms and don't move there until this uh, process stops uh, because this is really endangering us. So I I don't think that Israel has anything serious to offer in this uh, mediation because we are in a close relationship with Russia, talking about the need to coordinate with them in Lebanon,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, and in Syria, they are present in our uh, neighborhood.
1: Explain for people not familiar why Israel needs to have Russia to coordinate with them.
2: Okay, so let's understand Russians for a moment. Um, one of the major interests of Russia is uh, what we call hot water, Be- being able to maintain a huge fleet in uh, waters that don't freeze in the winter. Because most of the sea around Russia, it freezes in the winter. Mm -hmm. They need to keep their ships either in the Black Sea or in the Mediterranean Sea. And obviously, keeping them in the Mediterranean Sea is better. So they need ports. One of the major strategic ports of the Russians is located in Syria. So Syria, for the Russians, is is an important place. And they want to defend their uh, port. So they are assisting this uh, vicious regime for for a long time. Mm. They they have both brought to Syria very sophisticated capabilities, mainly air defense. Mm -hmm. Some of them can endanger uh, our uh, airplanes, but they are utilizing the advanced weapons. Now, because they are spread around Syria, when we attack Iranians that are moving towards our uh, border, And when we attack shipments of missiles that are moving from Iran to Hezbollah, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: we're doing it on Syrian soil near Russian forces. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we need to be very, very closely uh, coordinated. And if, for some reason, our relationship with the Russians derails, they can make us quite a hard time in managing to to do what we need to do. And, And it's a very... Crucial issue for us to prevent uh, Hezbollah from maintaining getting this uh, missile. So, we need to keep a very close coordination with Russia. So, we need to be careful uh, the way we are handling ourselves uh, around the Russian Ukrainian uh, crisis as Mm -hmm. much as we. Uh, sympathize with Ukraine and uh, we are against the fact that Russia uh, invaded Ukraine and of course against the atrocities we see uh, in Ukrainian cities. But uh, talking about real politic, mm-hmm. uh we need to be careful and we are I mean, to a certain, to certain extent.
1: Uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting angle that most people have never really explore. Uh, just, just shows you sort of the trying to balance the many national security challenges you have and, and how you have to navigate through those. What's your opinion on Saudi Arabia? Uh, obviously, UAE and Bahrain coming closer with Israel in terms of um, both economically and looks like maybe national security ties as well. Do you think Saudi Arabia is going to come closer to Israel and at least their their rhetoric will, will demonstrate that more, given the just insane policies that the US and the West are having towards Iran and essentially Bolstering their ability to export their terror around the world, do you think that brings Saudi Arabia to more openly build better relations with Israel?
2: I think that we already have good relations, although we don't have a formal peace. Uh, there is a lot of meetings, a lot of talking. I think that um, what ha- what's happening in Saudi is that you still have the old regime, the old king is old school. Mm-hmm. It's hard for him to you know adapt to the new realities of the Middle East, but you have the young. Generation of Saudis that understand that uh, they need a closer closer relationship with Israel. So maybe with the Saudis, it take it's taking a bit more time. But uh, below the surface, there is a lot of uh, things going on between Israel and the Saudis.
1: And I'm going to ask you a little bit about the Israeli military, and then we can we can finish off with things you're concerned about and things you're hopeful for. Israel being such a formidable military. Um, you know, small population, one of the most advanced militaries in the world in terms of cyber capabilities, an excellent air force, um, just, you know, a, a all around very, very effective military force and among the best intelligence, maybe the best intelligence in, in the world, next like to the United States. What, what do you think Israel's advantages are in terms that makes it such a um, such a tiger, given it's, it's relatively small size in the world, it's a, it's a country size in New Jersey. With uh, you know what, nine million population around there. What do you attribute that to?
2: Two things. One is conscription, and the fact that we are Jews. So the fact that you have very very smart people, and they are all being sent to the army. It's conscription. Mm -hmm. You are able to get the best minds of Israel at a very young age uh, to join the military. And the military has uh, like two and a half, three years to shape them and convince them also to stay in the army. Okay. And many of them do, and they stay in the army as officers. Um, so you get the best of the best. There is a, It's a completely different world having conscription and getting all the best people you have in the country into the army than having a professional army uh, where usually all the able people go to university and uh, mm-hmm. careers and all the people that don't have a real career go to, to the army because they, they don't have another choice. Mm-hmm. So really the secret of Israel is it's people. you know I served 30 years in the military and um, in my last day they held me a party and so on and then, then they asked me, what will you remember of all this uh, you know 30 years, what's the thing that most impacted you? And I said, it was the endless amount of amazing people I met. Mm-hmm. I met so many people who are so able. Um, and this is our secret. This is the secret. It's all about the people. I mean, People at the age of 18, 19 in the Israeli army do things that people maybe 40, 50 years old do mm-hmm. in other places. Now, this is also building a much stronger society overall. I mean, the army is the best university you can imagine. I mean, people learn leadership. They are given responsibilities you wouldn't get decades, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, at the age of uh, 22, I commanded more than 100 people in very complex uh, Mm -hmm. missions and uh, managing 100 people uh, outside of the military. It takes many years to, you know, when I was 22, I took a few months off and I flew to visit my parents. My father was there at the time, Israel's ambassador in uh, Colombia. So I arrived at this young age to visit my parents and I visited my father in the embassy. And he's an ambassador, you know, very experienced. And I spent half a day in the embassy and I look, The way my father is managing his people, you know, uh, with the eyes of a manager. And I'm 22 years old. And at the end of the day, I sit to talk with my father. And I start telling him what I think he can do better. Mm -hmm. The way he's managing the people. This is what, uh, you know, what what the army enables you
1: to. Certainly more valuable skills than uh, majoring in gender studies. Uh, (laughs) You guys can get some more concrete skills at a young age. (laughs) Definitely. And, and you know, just, yeah you know, the, the army
2: takes you really, really, the, the army challenges you in every possible way. And, and you need to be at your best mm-hmm. in everything mm-hmm. to, to succeed. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you certainly see that mentality basically uh, manifest itself as well in terms of obviously Israel's tech community, which is, you know, number, I think Israel is number, th- is number three in public companies in the world. So it's like America and China and then Israel. This tiny little country is up there with these two behemoths. Some of the most valuable technology companies that we have in the world were either bought by American companies that were Israeli-based, Israeli companies, or they're Israeli companies, right? So it's it's certainly played itself out in the uh, economic fields and the technology fields as well and private enterprise, and uh, there there certainly seems to be a, a strong connection there.
2: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that Israel and the U.S. can do much better together, today you see Russia, China, India, they are uh, challenging the supremacy of uh, technology, technological right. supremacy of the U.S. And the U.S. is finding itself in a situation where it's harder and harder to compete with all these, you mm-hmm. know. And in this sense, I think Israel is an opportunity. I think that we should deeper much more uh, the connection and the joint development of basic technologies like hypersonic missiles, Mm -hmm. uh, like quantum computing Mm -hmm. and other basic fields. Uh, Israel can definitely assist a lot in uh, making a U.S. that is much more competitive in this uh, complex
1: world that we are living Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's just a, somebody who follows the public markets. It's just amazing to see. And it's like almost every every few weeks, you'll see a major acquisition of a, of a company. And it's like almost always Israeli. You know, it's like a, this is an Israeli company every few weeks being bought out by a multi-billion dollar American-based company. And, you know, you, you hear quotes from like, um, you know, people like Bill Gates and, you know, he's saying famously like Microsoft is also very much an Israeli company, right? Because of how much of Israeli technology has helped power that IBM as well um it's, it's just an, it's just an incredible thing and it goes to show you what you know people who are who are committed to excellence who don't even weren't blessed with natural resources right it's like one of the few places in the Middle East where you know you got we, Israel got the short end of the stick in terms of natural resources there's not, yeah, there's but not you know oil.
2: even that is not true anymore we find so much gas now there's, that there's, that's are, right export, mm-hmm. export gas to Europe.
1: Right. And that's because of technology uh, improvements, right? That's able to get those gas. Is that correct? The innovations well, it's actually able to more
2: international it. companies, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. that uh, f- for a long time looked in the sea for uh, natural reserves of gas. And at a certain point, uh, we found a lot, a lot of gas. Mm-hmm. And then now, by the way, one of the things that is happening with the Ukrainian-Russian war is uh, two, two interesting things that affect Israeli relations with Europe. One, that, of course, Eastern Europe, Northern Europe, they are all in shock, you know, by this army, Russian army marching into Europe. So everybody is now investing more in uh, military capabilities.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And all of the Israeli industries are now in Europe, hmm. in Finland, in Sweden, in Poland, Czech, Czechoslovakia, in Germany. Everybody wants to buy and uh, procure Israeli technology and know-how. So in in this uh, uh, case, we we are really deepening our relationships and signing very huge agreements, Mm -hmm. G2G, government to government. And the other issue is the fact that Europe is dependent on Russian gas and they're looking for alternative. Israel has become a very viable and interesting alternative for Europe.
0: Hmm.
1: It's amazing. Yeah, that, that, that's an incredible story. So let's finish off here with things you're most worried about in the short to medium term. We, we, we discussed it a bit, but if you could game out sort of, let's assume this this Iran deal goes forward, unfortunately, um, because of just the massive amounts of incompetence coming out of our administration right now. I assume that's probably the biggest threat and how Israel sort of how they would game plan out, how they'd see it out uh, in terms of dealing with that threat. And then something that you're you're hopeful about in the medium to long term.
2: Well, I think that if uh, this agreement is signed, Israel will need to invest a whole different amount of money and attention in the the IDF, Mm -hmm. police and so on, because basically we'll, we'll enter a period of time where war will be something that might happen, need to be prepared for possible against Iran nuclear capabilities or an Iranian attack on a certain point. What I can hope for, I hope that um, you know that something will happen that will uh, enable the this agreement to be signed. At the moment, the Russians are a bit, uh, you know, uh, stopping the process, but I don't mm-hmm. know how long. And then, you know, I usually, really, I don't like to deal with American politics, but it's affecting so much what is right. happening here. So we are looking very closely on what will happen in November. Mm -hmm. And of course, we are looking at what will happen in two years from now. And if we are not in war in the next two years, I truly hope that there will be an administration that understands who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, that uh, will deal finally with the Iranian threat once and for all. And with the Iranians, unfortunately, talking won't cut it. We need to destroy these capabilities. I don't think Israel needs to deal with this alone. I think it's a global threat, and uh, we need to deal with this. Mm-hmm.
1: An administration who knows who the good guys and who the bad guys are. What a, what a concept, uh, but I, I think that we're going to we're going to see some positive developments on that front. The, the, this madness can't go on, and I think the whole world is starting to see the, and particularly Americans are starting to see what happens when you get some of the most incompetent worst people in power and uh the results aren't very good and I, I think that uh I'm very confident that things will change in that direction we'll get somebody in who will uh stem the tide and and start making good decisions again start exhibiting confidence and strength around the world so appreciate you coming on Amir. it was a, it was a fascinating discussion it was amazing get your perspective on things uh is there anywhere that people can much. learn is there anywhere people can learn more about you or, or follow Volume.
2: Yes, definitely. I mean, we didn't talk about the organization as I lead, but uh, I, I uh, two years ago, I decided to build a new uh, organization, and it had huge, huge traction. Today, we have more than 3,000 high-ranking officers, commanders, and operators in reserve from all the Israeli defense establishment, all devoted to one thing and one thing only, ensuring the security and prosperity of the state of Israel and the Jewish people for generations to come and uh, we deal a lot with uh, educating the young generation. We're doing it uh, on a large scale in Israel, and we are hoping to reach also to the young generation in the diaspora. Uh, we are very active in media and social media, and uh, we have a research department. We meet a lot with the diplomats, Congress, Senate, Europe, Knesset, and so on. The organization is growing really fast because there is a need. We understand that the mm-hmm. national security is a, is a big deal um you can uh, find us in uh, idsf.org.il uh, our website and um, subscribe and you know and get get uh, the latest news of what's going on here
1: amazing we'll make sure we'll put that in the uh, show notes idsf.org.il doing great work thanks so much for for being on really appreciate it, man
2: thank you Achron it was really a pleasure thanks
1: thank you if you enjoyed our show please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast and give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening and we will be back next week.